You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call them now and leave a message. They'll return your call at 905-529-7165. And check out the website, andyanddon.com. That's all one word, andyanddon.com. You can listen to old archive shows there as well. Ask a question via the listener inquiry button and they will get back to you online, as we're doing everything now. Good morning, gentlemen. Good to see you all in your little squares. Good morning, Scott. Good morning, Andy. Good morning, Scott. Good morning, Don. I guess these are budget squares now, so uh, you all look a little smaller, or in this case, maybe bigger. Uh, But a very historic budget, obviously not one in a couple of years due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Your thoughts on this? Is is it what you thought it would be? Is it what you expected? Well, um... I would let say, you, Don, you get started. <laughs> yeah, there's lots. There's so much here. This, you know what? I'm only, uh, I still got eight pages to go because I, I, I got 731 pages into it. <laughs> this is the longest. Are you kidding? You, do you guys really read it? Shot. Do you guys really read this thing? No, no, no. Oh. Not even close. <laughs> you, you suck me in there. 739 pages long. This is unreal. You, you go back in time, and the budgets in the 80s and right up until 96, you never got over 200 pages. In fact, think about that. We're just, I'm visualizing that, Don, because if you buy a stack of paper, it's 250, right? So that's yep. three, stacks, three stacks high. That's pretty good. It is insane. That is a ton. Of, like, I don't know. if Maybe they got paid by the page. Whoever wrote this? <laughs> because that is a lot. In fact, it beat the record of 528 pages. So it beat it by... Over 200 pages back in 2015 was the record previously. And this one, like, to be honest, if you look at the number of pages per year, the bud- it's almost remi- it reminds me right now of what the deficit looks like. So you're going to get a nice, you know, reasonable deficit throughout the 80s and 90s, and then all of a sudden you get into the late 2000s, and the, and the pages got longer, and the deficits got bigger, and then all of a sudden there's this massive spike up which is exactly what we're going through this year with a massive deficit, which is not a whole lot different, really. A lot had to do with, obviously, the pandemic. That being said, though, we went through the biggest financial crisis, and uh, we didn't spend like, nearly as much. So rightly or wrongly, time will tell. But it's interesting. I thought I'd just kind of go back in history just a little bit. And back, if you go back to the mid-1960s, you had the Liberals... Let's be Pearson, and then followed by that, Pierre Trudeau. And they came out what was considered modern welfare state, which included um, EI, employment insurance, CPP, a great thing, and transfer to provinces. Now, it kind of got the ball rolling, and it started a 30-year deterioration of our finances. And so you go from the 60s now into the 90s. Of course, when interest rates went up into the 80s, rather, um, everything's great with being affording how much debt Canada takes on until interest rates rise. And we had that go up drastically in the 80s, and all of a sudden what we were spending is just interest payments yearly went skyrocketing. And finally there was the budget that everybody always likes to point to, and it was really a watershed moment. It was a 1995 budget done by the Liberals. And previous to that, successive 
administrations were really, you know, they noticed there was slowing growth, and they were just really in a period of just denying, denying, and hope. They they would deny all the spending. They, 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 sorry, they denied the spending was out of control, and they would just hope that the growth would start. It kind of reminds me of today a little bit. And so the 1995 budget was by Cretchen and Paul Martin. And Paul Martin um, did an amazing job with that budget. At the time, our debt was 66% of GDP. 66%. It was literally triple the amount of our gross national product of the 70s. And it was really, we're getting in trouble, actually. We're worried about, at the time, turning into almost a Mexico. And our dollar would go down, way down in value. And so they created this budget that slashed spending. And it was known as the most important budget of the time. And finally, what happened is deficits finally became a bad word. And that theme continued from 95 right all the way till 2015, until the next Trudeau got elected, and all of a sudden, it was a weird thing because we went from Harper trying to balance the budgets to Trudeau now saying, well, deficits are okay, and they got in. And that was, and, and also the famous words, the budget will balance itself. And also the whole idea of balancing budget was like five years down the road or three years down the road, which soon afterwards they said we don't have to worry about that. It won't be quite then, but it will look. It will balance itself, and then they would show how it would balance itself if we have growth for the next ten years. And there's all these assumptions. Well, now it's kind of interesting. Here we are, 2021, balancing the budget. I don't even know if that even actually was brought up. I don't know about you, Andy. I didn't find it anywhere. No, nothing. <laughs> well, they're they're talking about uh, eliminating deficit over the next. Uh, well a dramatic a return to previous de- uh, deficits in three years' time, and I think eliminating it after 10 years again. Ah, okay. Well, it was kind of interesting. Somebody did a word count, and they, they, they counted support was mentioned 1,000 times, benefit or benefits was mentioned 1,300 times, gender was mentioned 740 time, times, indigenous was mentioned 831 times. Interesting enough, flip side, growth was mentioned 280 times, productivity was mentioned 39 times, and competitiveness was only mentioned 13 times. So just based on a word count, you can see where the importance was. And the one thing that was interesting, they talked about um, spending on infrastructure. And as soon as you hear about infrastructure, you always think that it's bridges and roads and things that would, you know, help for the future. Um, shovel-ready projects is really what they were called. And now, all of a sudden, infrastructure takes on a whole new meaning. It's called social infrastructure, which is what's a, really their mainstay here is child care, student grants, things that we will be spending money on, and thought to be an investment. And it'll be interesting to see how this pans out because... The spending on childcare is an example in bringing women back into the workforce, which is a great idea. It's, you know, but at the same time, they look at it adding 0.05% growth to the Canadian economy. So even though there's a lot of money spent there, it doesn't show up as a lot of growth. Um, time will tell on a lot of these things because a lot of these are projections. But I guess they're following the Quebec lead and having a lot of people 
a lot of women back in the workforce. You know, it's interesting you bring up the points about uh, infrastructure, because I had that discussion with a couple of the experts that I had on uh, my show in the past week or so. And, you know, obviously, uh, President Biden is talking a lot about infrastructure and stimulus and such, but he's doing that. Uh, he's referring to, when he's doing that, he's referring to roads and bridges and, and getting that sort of thing done. Whereas here, we've got protests against anybody building roads. What are we going to drive all of the electric vehicles on that we're investing in? Yes, absolutely. And I, I look at things such as, say, an arena or a, a sports facility or anything like that where you have something for you know, decades ahead that is, is, is a great investment. Social, great social, social infrastructure, that's just wordsmithing. It that really is. It is, is wordcrafting. Yeah. It's not infrastructure. No. It's an expense. Yeah. It's, it's, it's taking the word expense and calling it infrastructure. And so they have made a lot of assumption here to make this thing work. They've assumed real growth. That's growth over inflation of 3% a year, which is a little rosy. They have inflation under control the whole time over the next 10, uh, over the next, uh, 10 years. And um, there was a couple other fairly rosy assumptions. But at the end of the day, um, it's, it's a lot of money going out. And, and any are going to go through some of the things. Some are great benefits for uh, certain individuals. And, uh, and, and it helps. So why don't you start it off, Andy, where you think uh, we should start here? Well, you know, if you break down the budget, we, we sort of think about it in terms of uh, just there, there are a lot of measures, as they're called, but uh, there's things related to COVID-19 uh, support, et cetera, for both personal and business. We've got uh, measures that are impacting individuals, like the you know single people out there, and then um, other tax measures, which are sort of one-offs, etc. So when we start thinking about, uh, I'm just starting off. I was looking at individuals, and um, and one area which is certainly nice is the increase to the old age security amount, and this is a benefit that is provided to seniors age 75 and older. So it includes a one-time hit of 500 bucks this July, and or June, I think it is. Um, and No, sorry, it's August. <laughs> I don't get that month right. So additional $500 in August for old-age security pensioners age 75 and older. And then there's a second phase to this, which is an overall increase of about 10% starting in July, uh, June 2022, which would work out to about an additional $766 for every senior over age 75. So what was interesting about that is I thought about how, um, you know, they claw back the old age security. And so if you think about the upper threshold of the OAS clawback, it starts around 79000 and goes up to 126000 So today, once you reach 126000 you, you don't get any more old-age security. It's all clawed back of taxable income. Um, so with that increase this year, that threshold goes up to 129350 So you get a little bump up of $3,300 that you can then deduct the tax. And then uh, finally next year, there'd be an extra 5000 threshold up to 131000 before you lose it all. And it, it's interesting. It's, uh, for those who are 74 and thought, oh, I just missed it. Well, actually, that's not the case because... They take it as 75 years or older as of June 2022. 
So really, it's age 74 right now. As long as you're 75 or older as of June of next year, you're good, and you'll get this $500. And, uh, yeah, it's a, a nice benefit. Uh, I guess the question, and this is what they brought up during their speeches, was, you know, the seniors gone through this pandemic and so forth, and they deserve it. And I don't, you know, just to be a little bit devil's advocate here, I'm thinking, okay, well, it's $500. To be honest, there's more money in their savings accounts than ever right now because, unfortunately, nobody's spending money. So I'm not going to get a whole lot of seniors loving me for this, but it's not income tested. So as long as you're making under 80000 a year, and then actually in Andy's case just mentioned, you'll get some of it, but one hundred thirty grand, call it, you're making one hundred thirty grand. you're giving $500 just because you're over 75. It's not that you deserve it. It's just simply that you're older. And I, I'm thinking, okay, why did they stop there? Why not give them $5,000 each? You know, it's just, it's just a number. So I, I personally think it's more of a political vote than anything. But if it was more income tested for those that literally financially need it, then if they would look at something saying, well, anybody who makes less than 40000 could care. Here's another $2,000 for you. So that the people that need it really did get it. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Call them now. Leave a message. They'll get back to you at 905-529-7165. Going to take a quick break here. We're coming back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Call them now. They'll get back to you. Leave a message at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at andyanddon.com. You can listen to old shows there and ask a question on the internet. Uh, via the listener inquiry button. All right, we're uh, digesting budget 2021 COVID-19 edition. Yes, yes. We're just talking a little <laughs> bit about old age, old age security and, you know, the $500. And they gave a benefit last year to, uh, you know, as an extra gift, call it, for seniors. And now it's uh, over 75. And so they did increase it next year uh, by 10%. And this won't start until July 2022. And it's kind of interesting because Andy and I talk about longevity risk a lot on our show. And this really does address longevity risk because obviously this kind of thing never existed when we started because the average age didn't make 75. Obviously, there's a whole lot of people living past 75 now and it's a risk and they're outliving their money. So they are increasing the old age security payment, as Andy mentioned earlier, by 10%. And if so, currently if it's 6.15 a month, you know, it, that would go up to six seventy six fifty per month per spouse. So you could double that if you're if uh, you, both spouses are living at that age. So that one there actually I think is, isn't a, a bad thing. It is a little income tested. Um, it'd be interesting to see how they could work that with the guaranteed income supplement. But this is almost another layer to help out seniors over seventy five, and and they and to the most part they need it. I would personally like to see the bar lowered that's just my opinion because they can still make well over 80,000 a year and get this extra 10 percent but uh, that being said it is uh, something that is uh, an issue for seniors that uh, with increases in inflation I know this is inflation rate um, protected so it's in, uh, indexed but you know seniors inflation rates are a little different than the CPI so rent is going up 
vegetables going up, food prices are going up. I don't know where they're getting this inflation rate at under 2%, but it generally isn't the senior's inflation rate. So another uh, thing they changed a little bit was the disability. Yeah, I think what they were, this is something, you know, it's funny. I, I just noticed uh, how many times on television and on the radio you hear advertisements today from lawyers talking about getting your disability tax credit yeah. uh, approved, right? And so it's fascinating to me that, that how much uh, the, the point that that's evolved and that, it's, I'm not calling it a racket, but that, that, that <laughs> process that process, you know, when, when lawyers are fighting to get that done, that means there's a lot going on in this area. So, um, and the disability tax credit, I think one of the things that's causing maybe lawyers to be involved more is trying to clarify what qualifies for a disability and the level of impairment that you have, etc. So, um, but basically what this is, the, it's a, the, the T2201, which is the form that you file, and uh, this is in case you have, um, you know, it, it has to do with your activities of daily living, uh, if you are blind, if you're receiving life-sustaining therapy, um, and so the things like speaking, hearing, walking, uh, bowel, bladder functions, feeding, dressing, performing mental functions or cognitive uh, capabilities. So these are all things that are measured to determine if you qualify for the disability tax credit. And the disability tax credit is a significant amount of tax savings every year, you know, thousands of dollars. And so um, this is why it's attractive to lawyers. There's a percentage that they can get, but it's also attractive to us as, as an individual taxpayer if we can qualify for this. And, uh, and so I think what the terminology, the problem was the terminology is not clear. And so updating the terminology, particularly around listing of mental functions that, of everyday life that's used for the assessment of the disability tax credit, and those terms will be more sort of clinic, clinically relevant to today, so to reduce the delays and reduce that, uh, pr- provide more clarity around the qualification process. And um, so, again, I think with the disability tax credit, it's something that uh, everybody, every senior who's in a position where they're questioning their, their health or their ability to maintain their activities of daily living without assistance for at least the next 12 months plus, uh, there's somebody they can qualify for. So take a look at the disability tax credit for sure. And how are they going to pay for some of this? Uh, there is a few revenues. Um, I know they're hitting up uh, the Facebooks and Googles a little bit. They don't expect a ton, but they're going to get some revenue by taxing uh, their income. But uh, one, one that I did totally agree with, and, and I would suggest it might be even too small of a tax, was the vacant property tax owned by non-residents. They are now charging a 1% tax on the vacant or underused non-residents. These non-Canadian-owned residents, um, basically starting in 2023, so they've got a lot of time here, who are not Canadian citizens or permanent residents, will be required to file an annual declaration as to the property's use and value. Um, Significant penalties would be imposed if they do not file this declaration. Well, 1% is fairly significant. So if you've got a million-dollar condo in Vancouver or Toronto or wherever, and, and certainly there's a lot of those now, 1% is $10,000 yearly. So that's a yearly cost. And I think personally this is a, uh, great. This is a long time coming, my, my way of thinking, only because I have gone to Vancouver, and I remember I was in a friend's condo, and we were looking at another condo, and I, I said, wow, there's no lights on there. And he says, yeah, it's full. Nobody lives there. 
There was only a couple lights on the whole condo, and they're all owned by Asians at the time, because Vancouver has a lot of Asian owners. And they were just basically putting their money into real estate as a, as a way to store wealth, not to rent it, not to do anything. So even though we have rental issues and housing problems, there was no place for people to live because all the properties were bought. In fact, businesses were built around all these condos, hoping they would be able to ha- have a nice business because of all the people living there, and they all went bankrupt because nobody was living in the, ca- in the, uh, in the condos. So this is a long time coming. I think this is a great uh, addition, a- and it may be just a small step, but at least 1% per, and that's an annual. So like I said, 10000 per million dollars of property value. So there's one anyway. You know what? If we're going to talk about excess uh, toys, excess <laughs> property, let's let let's talk about the excess tax on uh, on fancy cars and fancy boats too, and planes. We can't forget about planes. oh, don't forget the planes. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, this is something that uh, as I did a bit of research on this because it kind of hit home to me. And first of all, what I came to realize is this doesn't affect. This isn't going to raise a ton of money. Uh, this doesn't affect a ton of people, but it does affect an industry, uh, and the boat building industry here in Canada is strong, but it's, boy, has it ever struggled over the years. Uh, you know, we've got a short season for boating, uh, just like cottaging, and so uh, people try and get out there and use it as much as possible. But uh, So this, this is a proposal that they would add an additional 10% tax. Uh, there's a formula, sorry, additional 10% uh, surtax on the purchase of a boat over $250,000. And uh, so essentially there's a graduated increase in this tax as the price goes up. And once you reach $500,000 for a boat, you're you're all in at that point in terms of the additional tax. And I was just looking at a little spreadsheet here that I was doing for this. And uh, so at $500,000, the additional tax would be uh, fifty grand. And uh, plus, you got to pay HST on that, so that's another uh, $6,500. So $56,500 of increased cost to that purchase, and uh, it's about an 11.3% increase overall grab. Now, there's, you know, when I did a quick search, I thought, well, how many boats are out there? Uh, I've been involved in boating all my life. I'm not involved in boats over 250,000, but thought, how many boats in Canada? are out there that are a for sale and how many of them are over 250,000 just in just for general terms to see what this is what's going on here and i you know be, and before i even thought about that uh, you know what this is it's it's unfortunate they're targeting this area in the context of um, you know we have we're a water country we have water we have board we have water borders we have fresh lakes we have like there are a lot of boat and boating activity that happens in this country and, uh, and I liken it to cottaging, where we have sort of, you know, a season where people go boating and a season where people go cottaging. And we're not penalizing people for buying $250,000 cottages that they use for one season every summer. But yet we're going uh, to attack people that pay $250,000 for a boat and might live on it for the summer. So I was a little upset with that overall in terms <laughs> of the context. But... Um, so in Canada, one of one of the one of the search sites I used was called uh, Yacht World, and Yacht World shows that there are one thousand three hundred and fifty boats for sale, and this is just one site new and used in uh, Canada across the country. Of that, about three hundred and three are listed at over two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, so about twenty three percent or core. Now, the, at the high end, just for fun, at uh, two hundred and thirty eight foot, there's a seventy two million dollar boat for sale. 
all of that, that's going to add a little bit of uh, additional tax to his to his ticket when he sells that if he doesn't do it before January first. Uh, but uh, the majority of the boats were sort of in that two hundred fifty thousand to a million dollars. And these are liveaboard boats. So um, anyway, so this additional tax, I think it's uh, there's anyway there's not a lot of transactions happening in this dollar price range for boats to begin with. So as far as actually raising any capital, it just seems like a waste of time and energy and tracking, and uh, and, and who knows what will happen with cross-border purchases, et cetera. Will all of this be able to be captured? So, uh, again, I, I, I don't like it, but um, and I think if they're going to do it, then apply it to cottages too. The, like that. Uh, no, don't come near my cottage, man. <laughs> Go back to the boats. But this, Andy, this goes back to, again, the politics. This is low-hanging fruit. You want to get people pissed off. You talk about how uh, you're going to tax the rich or tax the wealthy or tax whoever or those that buy boats, those that buy jet airplanes or, or this, that or the other. And as you mentioned, the, the population is, is small and the amount of revenue you're making uh, isn't great. And in the end, people who have money just find other ways to do it. So, uh, yeah, yeah. but, but again, it, it sounds... It, buy a used boats up to that yeah. uh, 250,000 yeah. level rather than new boats. But it sounds good to voters, right? It, it uh, and and again, sounds for, good to voters, not voters, it, voters. Yes, voters. <laughs> it sounds great. And actually, if you look at cars, now cars are uh, are in the same ballpark there, and they're basically going to be taxing anything over a hundred thousand dollars of a vehicle. And it may sound like there's a lot, and there a hundred thousand dollars is a lot for a car. But if <laughs> there is a fair number of cars, and it's kind of funny, I wouldn't be so shocked if some of those pickup trucks cost that. But it's really over and above the the hundred thousand. So if you've got a hundred fifty thousand dollar vehicle, which would be one heck of a car, it works out that you end up an extra ten grand, because there's two formulas. One is twenty percent of the increase, or ten percent of the price of the vehicle. So in that case, twenty percent of the increase of fifty grand is ten grand. So you end up paying under another ten grand. Not the end of the world, but again, it's optics. As uh, and optically, you know, if you happen to do really well and you decide you've always wanted this dream boat, dream car, dream aircraft, then you're going to have to pay more, um, even though you've probably paid a millions of dollars in income tax in the first place. But uh, and now you're also your company that happens to be Facebook or Google or something is also getting another tax too. So. Anyway, you know what, Don? I'm just gonna I'm just gonna jump in on that because I did a little research on that too, and I went to like Auto Trader, right? And I said, how many cars are for sale in Canada? And on Auto Trader, it comes up as three hundred and sixty nine thousand, three hundred and sixty nine thousand cars for sale. Of that, if you look at how many cars are over a hundred thousand, new and used, uh, three thousand eight hundred and forty seven. So roughly 10% of the vehicles for sale uh, on Auto Trader are over that threshold of 100,000. Yeah, and a top so top top range top range for a Ferrari like a like an antique Ferrari is like 2 million bucks or something like that. But obviously there's a lot more in that 100,000 to to 100 200,000 range. But uh, so there's some, you know, there's uh, 3,800 cars. Again, not a lot of money going to get raised from this. It's as I agree with Scott. It's low hanging fruit. It's just a visual thing for voters. The auto, the auto show might end up showing different cars. Now they'll all be showing the ones under 100 grand because they don't, nobody will want to pay that extra tax. <laughs> That's right, <laughs> for sure. So, anyhow, um, you know, basically, there's loopholes they're they're trying to make um, catch up on, and it's. It's been tricky, but one of the things that I did like is uh, the GST 
uh, on new housing rebates entitles home buyers to recover 30 36% of the GST on the federal component of the HST. Okay, paid on purchases of new homes priced up to 350000 So that's what currently is there. The maximum rebate for these new home purchases is $6,300. So I know my son and my daughter both qualified as new home purchases. They bought condos uh, a couple years ago, and they got some of this uh, HST back, or in this case, 36% of the GST back. Now, it was phased out for any homes purchased between 350000 and 450000 So the new budget proposes, which, by the way, as we all know, with the housing boom, those are hard to find these days. It's hard to find three hundred fifty to $400,000 um, homes. So budget now makes a new GST that as long as a new home is acquired for the primary place of residency, any of the purchasers qualify for this rebate up to $6,300. And on top of that, right now, it had to be, if you were purchasing together, um, you know, either common law, married, partnership, what have you, both had to be a first-time home buyer. Under the new one, it's only one. And again, pretty fair. I think there could be some potential for people to try to get this uh, $6,300 back by just partnering up, um, knowing that, they could get this uh, $6,300 uh, $6, back. But again, I, it is going to help try to get that first home because there really wasn't a lot to try to simmer down the home purchase. Uh, they are anticipating interest rates staying low, and that's really driving the home prices going up 30% in the past year. And although interest rates are going up, um, it hasn't slowed things down yet. And when I say yet, I really mean yet, because last, before this um, pandemic hit, we did see the interest rates start to spike up, and the home prices actually started to drop a little bit, or at least stay even. And now we've seen this 30% increase, and honestly, just speaking with a few people, it's almost like they expect it to keep going up. And weird, and every time I see this, I always get a little scared when I find people that normally had nothing to do with purchasing a home or renovating a home and flipping them. I am now seeing people that I've never thought would do this are now doing this. And I always thought of that person just before the Great Recession when his shoe shiner was shining his shoes and, he was, and the shoe shiner was giving him stock tips back in 1930s. And he said, well, thanks for the tip. And he, w- he went back to the office and sold all his stocks. Hmm. <laughs> because <laughs> when, every, when it's getting this hot, something's got to start to cool down. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. 905-529-7165. Call now. Leave a message. They'll return your call. And check out the website at andyanddon.com. Quick break here. We're coming back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. 529-905-529-7165. Call now. Leave a message. They will get uh, back to you as soon as possible. And check out the website at andyanddon.com. We're recapping the budget 2021 Pandemic 19 edition. Don was just uh, commenting on the housing market and uh, and obviously the um, the HST 
rebates on some of that as well, but uh, new purchases. But for those of us with older homes who are considering things like they're calling it the uh, interest-free loans for home energy retrofits, and uh, essentially what that means is they're going to provide uh, homeowners and landlords interest-free loans of up to $40,000 if you undertake certain, they call them deep home energy retrofits. And those are uh, uh, typically identified through what's called an EnerGuide energy assessment. So that's interesting. The, Ener- the EnerGuide, EnerGuide energy assessment is something that you have to arrange with a qualified uh, individual who will come and assess the biggest or key areas of improvement for energy on your home. So out of curiosity, now we were doing some, we're we're planning to do some windows on our property. And so I thought I would reach out to them after hearing the budget. And, um, and so now, of course, nobody can do these inspections till after May 20th. And uh, they said there's been a bit of an influx in terms of requests to get this done. So um, but you do, uh, you can basically go to, if you Google EnerGuide Energy Assessment, and then you would get that done on your house prior to your renovations. And then you can uh, look at the application for up to $40,000 for things like um, replacing windows and doors, installing high-efficiency furnaces and water heaters, making insulation improvements. So there's, all, there's a whole bunch of different areas that can help you out there. Uh, Another area that's impacting individuals is increasing the federal minimum wage to $15 an hour and then indexing it for inflation. And uh, so that's something, I mean, I know it's still across the country. I think it was still at like $9 or $11. There's various uh, levels, but um, now trying to standardize it across the country in terms of uh, $15 an hour minimum wage. now, the other big thing that um, the government is looking at is the National Early Learning and Child Care System, right? And that one is uh, was the focus of the uh, the biggest portion of the budget in terms of the focus and uh, with a goal to creating a regulated child care nationwide, regulated child care nationwide for an average of $10 per day. Uh, so that's pretty significant because I know in Toronto... You could be paying as much as thirteen hundred to fifteen hundred dollars or higher per month. Uh, so you know, take about ten dollars a day per child. That brings it down to you know a couple of hundred bucks a month. So it can be a significant savings for a family for sure, particularly in the larger urban areas where uh, where childcare can be very expensive. Um, so the I think the other one that I wanted to jump in on too was the. Um, uh, Canada student loans, and there is uh, a budget to improve or give away from anywhere assistance from twenty-five to forty thousand uh, dollars for student loan and apprentice loans, and um, so that the, the amount of payback is is function of how much you earn after you st- finish your school. So that threshold of twenty-five thousand being increased to forty forty thousand just simply means and the lowering of the minimum loan payment of 20% of the amount of income you earn down to 10%. So it's uh, it's basically allowing students to defer out or reduce the amount of um, student loans they have. And just another quick comment on that. The one thing to do about student loans is you never want to commingle them with other loans. If you have what are called qualified student loans, 
that uh, where the interest is uh, is deductible and qualify for this extended prepayment uh, arrangement. You don't want to commingle them with other loans that you have might have, like a line of credit through your bank that you've been using for part of your student expenses. Keep them separate uh, all the way along. And, uh, you know, there was a few other... Don, I'll flip it over to you if there was another one you want to jump in on. Yes, uh, just kind of get back to their, you know, their big one about the child care. It's interesting. It really benefits the big city families. So if you look at the median monthly child care cost for infants outside Quebec, because Quebec already has this system in place, so their costs are, are very low. But outside Quebec, it's $651 for monthly child care costs if you live in Winnipeg. But it is $1,866 per month if you live in Toronto. So you can see that the vast difference in cost, like triple to live in Toronto versus Winnipeg for somebody to look after your, your child while you're, while you're working. And so I looked at that and said, you know what, um, great, great for young families because a lot of them are struggling to have kids because they simply can't afford it. And really, it also helps with the, keeping the mortgage, you know, because it was like a decision. I need to work so that I can, I can pay the mortgage, but I can't afford to have the kids because I can't afford the child care. So for the cities, it, it will help um, them to keep financially afloat and, um, you know, not a bad thing at all. So, yes, Scott. No, I just said we are uh, wrap, uh, wrapping up the oh, segment. Okay. That's all. You yeah, once again, your timing that. is your so, timing is so absolutely it, impeccable. I think that's an important program. You know what? The one thing I, I would say is it should be for, and again, it would be hard to police, but I think it should be for women so they or men so they can go back to work, and not necessary for while well, I want to go uh, have a leisure activity for the week. And basically, now you're being subsidized by the government simply because you want to go on a vacation and leave your kids at a daycare and have somebody look after them the whole time. So that's not helping the country at all in that case. But for the, getting women and men to work um, affordably, yeah, it, has, it certainly has its merits. We are planning our financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Call them now. Leave a message. They'll return your call at 905-529-7165. And check out the website at andyanddon.com. Quick break here. We're coming back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Call them now. Leave a message. They'll get back to you at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at Andy and Don. Uh, you're going to talk about what the budget missed this yes, time. Yes, And this is the part that was always interesting because prior to a budget, there's all these rumors of what you've got to do, what, you know, beware of this, and particularly the accounting field. And they have been churning out, they're going to change the capital gains rate. I don't know how many, how many budgets in a row, Andy, would this be? <laughs> okay. Yeah. And, and thankfully, they didn't. And I do know, that, and the reason this is important is because it's hard to make changes to your financial plan based on a budget that hasn't been brought out yet. And so there's always this worry that they're going to change the tax inclusion rate of capital gains from 50% up to, say, 75% as it was back in the early 90s. And so that did not happen. They did not change the capital gains rate. I did mention to 
I have a number of accountants as clients. I said, I doubt they'll do this because this seems, I would suggest this is more of a, an election type of budget. And so I don't think they want to do anything that is controversial. And besides that, it failed the first time when they did this. And by doing it again, why would you want to repeat something that failed by increasing capital gains? Because what happens is less people start to invest. And they really want to keep investment going. So that never got changed, thankfully. But for those that did sell stocks or houses and so forth to crystallize that capital gain, unfortunately, I have to say you did it for no reason other than at least you sold and you probably made money and it's not a bad thing. Uh, second was there was a lot of talk about the principal resident rules and possibly changing those. And I thought if I had to guess on anything that they might want to touch, it's potentially that one because it is being misused and they didn't tweak anything here. For example, uh, say flipping from one house to the next to the next and possibly just, you know, putting some paint and a few small renovations and adding a, some quick value and flipping it and flipping it. So that is actually driving the housing prices up right now, and they didn't touch that at all. And so I was a little surprised, and it's one of those covenant I, things that, I, uh, that Canadians love. It's a principal residence, so they probably didn't want to touch it because it is very, pretty controversial, but at the same time, we have a very overheated housing market now. People are struggling. Basically, they're using their parents' money right now to help purchase their next house. And so they're, they're really affecting, potentially, the parents' retirement to get into the next house at this stage. And so we do need something to cool the housing market. There was nothing of that really done in this budget. Uh, thankfully, they did not take away TFSAs or cap TFSAs. They kept tax-free savings accounts going. Uh, they did not increase them all either. So uh, TFSAs were pretty much untouched, and uh, this year's limit is $6,000, and the cumulative limit is $75,500. So if you've never added money to a tax-free savings account, you and if, you're, and if you are married or common-law spouse can both put $75,500 into a tax-free savings account. Perhaps when you sold that, that rental property to trigger the capital gains, maybe you can take that money and throw it into a TFSA. Um, RSPs, nothing, no new words on RSPs were really talked about at all. They uh, didn't change the rules. They've been pretty much embedded. They've, they're now going up by inflation, and really I, I, was, I would have been surprised if they do anything with that because with RSPs, they know that people are accumulating a lot of money that they have to pay tax on sooner or later. And the, the, the bad part of RSPs is if you get too much, then you actually might get old age security clawback. And I know Andy and I do a lot of work on the other end, trying to find a way to start to use up their RSP assets to bring people's income up to, you know, that $80,000 so they don't get clawed back, or even putting off old, um, both Canada Pension Plan and old age security and using up RSP assets first if they retired early. And then using the Canada Pension Plan and old age security as an index pension down the road. And so we've got a lot of planning tools right now where we're devising st great strategies on how to create the most efficient retirement you possibly can have. And we literally interchange using RSPs, Canada Pension Plan, and old age security and see which is the best for you. Also, ideally, they is using income splitting and making the best use of income splitting, which, again, 
they did not touch at all. So, which is great, because that income splitting is one of the best. I know in the U.S. it's interesting. I was speaking with a client that moved there, and they simply have total family income. So they don't have to worry about income splitting. They're both under 65. They, if they both make, uh, say, 40000 each, they just get taxed as an 80000 family, which isn't bad at all. So they basically are allowed to split all sources of income, divide by two, because there's two spouses. In Canada... Income splitting, a lot of it has to do with uh, people over 65 for RSP assets then get turned to a, a RIF. And if you're under 65 but have a pension of any um, defined benefit pension, you can split that prior to 65. So even if you're retired and I have some police officers that have retired, say, around 50, and they'll get a full pension, and they can split that with their spouse at age 50 or any time, for that matter, as long as they... Uh, are getting a defined benefit plan. So good news, bad news, they, they, there's certain things I'm glad uh, they didn't touch. Uh, capital gains and TFSAs, it would have been nice to see them increase it, but they didn't touch them. And the nice thing, they didn't touch the principal resident rule, but again, there really was no, they did not address how they're going to cool down the housing market, and I was kind of hoping they would have something to do with that in the budget. We have been planning your financial future, Budget 2021 edition. I'm Scott Thompson, Andy Lister, and Don Fox have been here from IG Private Wealth Management, 905-529-7165. You can call now, leave a message, they'll get back to you, and check out the website at andyanddon.com. There you can listen to old archive shows and ask a question via the listener inquiry button. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML.